Philippians chapter number one, please. The book of Philippians chapter number one. And to you, our last look in the book of Philippians, uh, we have not finished our thoughts uh, on any of these messages. Um, and, and, and I debated on whether to just move on to chapter 2 and look at verses 1 to 4. That's a section to itself in chapter 2. Uh, or to try to finish these thoughts out of chapter number 1. These verses are so rich, so rich with instruction. Would you stand with us, please? Let's read the verses where we left off last. Uh, chapter number 1, verse 27 through 30, where the Bible says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. I'm interested in these verses. Thank you for standing. You will remember, I won't give you the main headings of each one. I think I can from memory, but I jotted them down today. I touched on our, after we overviewed the book of Philippians, we took one night and showed you the various times that the book, that the word joy or rejoicing is used in the book some 18 times. We took time to, to deal with the note of joy that rings over and again uh, in the book and some of the themes of it in our introductory remarks. Then we moved to chapter number 1, verses 1 through 8. I touched on this a little earlier, didn't I? Just mentioning it, fond memories of a faithful church. We moved from there to verses 9 through 11. We talked about Paul's prayer for the believers at Philippi. And there was a threefold prayer that he prayed for them. In chapter number 1, verses 12 to 19, there were things that happened unto Paul. In verse number 20, uh, we took just that one verse and looked at Paul's faith in brief. Uh, you can see his faith. That's enlarged upon throughout the New Testament scripture, but you can find it in brief there in verse 20. In, in verses 20 through, tw excuse me, 21 through 26, uh, you'll remember that really, um, you remember... Paul, there was a bit of a struggle, wasn't there, between life and death. Um, Paul had a desire to go on, be with Christ. He said, which is far better. But he settled the matter. In verses 24, 25, and 26, he said, it's more needful for me to stay. He said, you need me. And that would not uh, be uh, probably uh, very desirable to stay and go through what the Apostle Paul had to go through with. Um, have you ever, I have on a number of occasions over the years, been beside someone that's battled cancer or diabetes or struggled or age has so uh, left them diminished that they would say to their loved ones, I'm ready to go on. I don't want to stay. Let me be. Pray that God take me soon. Something along that line. Paul, with all he had to suffer, you would think he would say, I my desire is to go on. I've been there before. I've been called up to the third heaven. But he knew it was more profitable for the believers at Philippi and other believers that he stay behind. What a selfless individual. 
If you'll remember, we overviewed these verses. They easily divide themselves. Of course, we've talked about how that you could give five or six different uh, titles to this. You remember this? You, you will remember it, no doubt. Uh, conduct, becoming a Christian. Remember we talked about that? Uh, or we could title it, Be Who You Are, or Be Who You Say You Are. You say you are a Christian, act like it. A Christian should be a Christian. You remember we talked about that. And we said that these verses could fall right in with the book of James. And, and you remember, I, I, I remember making this statement. Of course, I made this statement over the years, no telling at the times. If James were living today in the United States of America, he'd have to reside in Missouri, the show-me state. He said, I can't hear what you're saying. James, are you hard to hear? And he said, no, I can't hear you what you're saying for seeing what you're doing. And he said, you say you're a Christian. Show me. Show me. Well, that's what these verses are about. In his first heading, Paul reminds us of our heavenly citizenship as believers. We'll touch on that in a moment and just review for you. Secondly, Paul admonishes us as to our earthly cooperation, which is required of us as believers. Let me tell you what I did. I took my Strong's Concordance. I'm not as good on a computer as some of you are. I'm trying. I've been, of course, I've been trying a long time. Been, been at it a long time. Can't get the hang of it. I still love my books. I just do. And I pulled my Strong's Concordance down today and looked at the word together. I got tired of counting how many times it's in the New Testament. It's in there a bunch. Look it up. And so many times, we're told to be together, child of God. Regarding Bible matters, we're taught to be together. As a matter of fact, most of where uh, believers divide is over personality conflicts. Ain't got one thing in the world to do with what the Holy Ghost told James or John or anybody else to pin down. It's personality problems, most of it. And then Paul gives us an evident revelation in the lives of believers now, let's, let's look at this, if we may. Do you remember I tried one night, I tried to quote the old black gentleman that you remember he said, and then we finally got the quote when we, when we introduced this a couple, three weeks back. Be who you is, because if you is who you ain't, then you ain't who you is. Do you ever sense a hypocrisy about yourself? Do you ever feel that you come up short... You know what I'd like to say to you tonight? I wish that I read the Bible as much as some of you think I do. I wish I prayed as much as some of you think I do. I wish I, I, wish I studied as much as some of you think I do. Some of you think I'd never sleep. Look, Brother Dustin and I were talking along these lines tonight before the service. Um. I find the, the closer I get to Christ, the bigger he gets and the smaller I am. I find his majesty to be excellent, but I find that I fall so short of what he's called me to be. And do you ever find yourself praying like this? I don't know at the times. I've admitted this in front of our Bible Institute. I have found myself so many times saying, Lord, please help and bless thy feeble servant. Feeble, feeble servant, servant. There's nothing strong about a one of us. Here, Paul is admonishing us to be who we say that we are. Be on the outside what folk think you are. 
But then I, I wonder if we are on the inside what folk think what. You, you got that. I wonder if we truly are inwardly. The, the, this model we project outwardly. See, that's where we find that we fall so, so short. Paul reminds us of our heavenly citizenship. Look at verse number 27, just to touch upon it. Verse number 27, the first part of the verse. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. This word conversation, um, it, it's, it's a political word. It speaks of our citizenship. We use, in modern-day vernacular, we use the word conversation to speak of when we verbalize and, and communicate with, with one another. And I challenged you to look the word up. It, it means your manner of life, your manner of life. As a matter of fact, it's closely related to two words. Uh, one is uh, polio, almost pronounced like you would pronounce the disease, polio, and it means city. That means city. And then the long of that word w- would speak of citizenship, city and citizenship. Uh, it's akin to that word. And, and you remember we talked about that this would not be anything that would be strange to the believers at Philippi because there was a Roman colony uh, in Philippi. And what that meant was that they were Roman citizens. Though they lived away from Rome, uh, they dressed like Romans, uh, they carried um, uh, they, they carried the currency that the Romans carried. Do you understand what I'm saying? The exchange. They did their business like Romans. They worshipped like Romans worshipped. They, they were a colony, a Roman colony. Though they were not in Rome, they conducted themselves as though they were in Rome because they were Romans. Here's what Paul does. In, in chapter number 3 and verse number 20, he uses the word conversation again. And it, again, that word is closely akin to those two other words which speaks of being a citizen. And, and, and what Paul is trying to convey to them is just as sure as you've watched Romans who do not live in Rome live like Romans live in Rome. He says, you're a citizen of heaven. You have a citizenship there. And you should live like heavenly people live, you see. And so he, so he talks about that. And uh, we have dual citizenship. Isn't that right? We belong to this world. But we belong to another world. And uh, the older I get, the more I understand that tug from another world. That verse in chapter number 3 and verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then in verse number 27, the first phrase, here there's another interesting word. He says, Only let your conversation, your manner of life, your conversation, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. In other words, we are to... Uh, our manner of life is to be as becometh. It's to be worthy of the gospel. It's to be worthy of the gospel. And you remember that word comes from, the word picture of that is, uh, if, if you were to balance the scales, if, if, you're, a, if you're mining for gold and, and you go into the market, uh, you, take, you take the standard for an ounce. You put it on one side of the scale and it, it tips. And then you put a little... Uh, nuggets of gold on the other side until it balances the scale and you've got the true ounce according to the standard on the other side of the scale. You see, the Bible has been put on the scale and now our lives are to balance out according to what the Bible says, you see. Our lives are to be as that uh, that becometh the gospel, that which is becoming 
the gospel. Look at verse number 27. Now, Paul admonishes us as to our earthly cooperation. This is required amongst believers. The New Testament is filled with this. And we touched on this, but not very far. Verse number 27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Now, this unity is vital for the existence of the church, isn't it? It's vital. It's so important. And, and of course, there'll be many things that maybe uh, we would disagree on. And there are many different places we all come from in life. But what draws us together is the Lord Jesus Christ and his cross, his blood, his empty tomb, the gospel, his word, and the preaching of it. And he says that you strive together for the faith of the gospel. You know, I could not help but think about, I could not help but think about uh, today, uh, over this past year, we have, we have helped some folk that, that, that needed some help putting food on the table this past year. That's a good thing. I think we've done that every year. I've been here, and probably the church did it every year prior to my being here. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Um, uh, we, we, have, we have helped some people along the way keep, keep lights turned on or pay a water bill or buy a tank of propane or maybe buy a tank of gas to get them back and forth to work all week. And that's a good thing. And if you're not careful, what somebody will say is, they'll say, well, now, that's what we're here for. But it's not. That's secondary. We're here to promote the faith of the gospel. We're here to promote the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. We are here ultimately to preach Christ, and the rest of this is secondary. If we can never help another family... May it never be said that we don't believe the gospel and we don't believe the scriptures and we don't preach the book and our Sunday school t- teachers aren't interested in the word of God. He says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. You know, didn't we have didn't we have a good fellowship meal uh, before the Christmas program? Uh, some of the men wanted to do that, and and I thought they knocked it out of the park. As far as I'm concerned, thank God for a for a chicken and a hog. Can I get a witness? Especially a salty hog. Somebody say Amen right there. That country ham was to die for. I took some of it home with me and feasted on it two or three days. Somebody ought to say amen and lick your lips saying it. I think we have good fellowship meals. I've always rejoiced when you look up, there's plenty and a lot left over. People take it home with them. And, and it's good to sit across the table from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, more of our fellowship meals than, than not, I have tried to go through toward the end of the line. It's always been a blessing to me. One of the reasons why I stand on the front, I've done this for going on toward 30 years now. Stand on the front, it's a blessing to me to see Toyotas and 
Fords and even a Dodge or two come pulling up in the parking lot. That blesses me. And it blesses me to see our folk, you all, going through the line out there and sitting down and fellowshipping with each other. But that's not the main reason we're here. If we never have another fellowship meal, we're here to preach the gospel. We're here to preach the word. We're here to see what God saith in scripture. We're not here to ride our hobby horses. That's not what we're here for. And we are to be together on that. You know what that verse says? That we're to strive together. We're to strive together. I was reading, you'll find this interesting, an interesting uh, uh, way to illustrate how you can get things done in a church. A fellow by the name of, of Herman Ostry, uh, he's from Bruno, Nebraska. Some years ago, uh, he bought a piece of land and, uh, to farm, to farm it. And, and he built a barn. And, and, and when he built his barn, he didn't realize that uh, it heavy rains, that the creek would overflow. And where he positioned his barn, it would flood the, the barn, not deep. And at one time, he went down, took his tape measure, and it was 29 inches deep. He talked to his son, who was a metal trades fellow. He, he's a welder, uh, metal fabricator. And he said, I, I've, I've got to tear it down and move it. And he said, Dad, said, let me work on it. And so what they decided to do was the metal trade's son, uh, he built lattice work on the barn and bolted it to the sides uh, and, and the framework of that barn. And on the bottom, he so designed it that the metal stuck out. Uh, they made an appeal throughout the county, and there were men, 344 of them showed up on a Saturday morning. And he had put another foundation for that barn to sit on, 143 feet away, up a slight slope. They gave it a try. On three, 344 men grabbed a hold to the bottom of that metalwork that's bolted to that barn that weighed over 17,000 pounds. And and just as a practice run, they stood up. And then on three, they set it right back down in place. And then they got their wind, and they all bent down and picked up again. And in three minutes' time, it was sitting on the new foundation. 344 men picked up 17,000 pounds and moved it and got the man's barn where it needed to be. I want to tell you something. God's people, it didn't take but 12 to turn the world upside down in the book of Acts. Acts 17, if you want to read it, they turned the world upside down. Oh, Bobby Moore, I remember hearing him preach out at Bethel when Brother Harvey Reeves was out there in revival so many years ago, or in his Bible conference, excuse me. He said, if you want to see revival among God's people, he said, let, to, let to a handful of God's people get thoroughly right with God. He said, need not be many. And then he commits to preaching. We are to be together concerning the faith. We are to be together. Notice with me, verses 28 through 30. Paul's going to give us, now I'll try to, uh, cover this as best I can over the next few minutes. But Paul gives us an evident revelation in the lives of believers. Look at verses 28 through 30. 28 through 30. Now, do you remember some weeks ago uh, looking uh, in the book of Revelation? You remember I, I made a statement and then we come back to it another week or so later uh, regarding saving faith? And here was, my, here was my statement. You cannot destroy saving faith. And you can't. 
Saving faith is eternal. According to the word of God, it is eternal. The devil said, let me add Job. You brought his name up. Let me add him. God, let me add him. I'll destroy his faith. I'll destroy what comes out of his mouth. He's a hypocrite. You keep blessing him. That's why he keeps walking with you. God said, let's just show the world. The faith I put in him, you're not going to destroy it. And every time he thought he knocked Job down, Job would stand right back up. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? He come from worship. He didn't come from a bar. He come from worship. Isn't that right? Come from worship. And the first messenger came in, and I'm sure he stood up to greet him, and he got knocked right back down with the news he received. Four times over, every time he stood back up. And even his wife said, Job, it hurts me to see you hurt like this. Get this thing over with. Curse God and die. She must have knocked him down. I've been called a lot of things in the ministry. It just goes, it's par for the course. It's just par for the course. But if my wife ever called me a hypocrite, and I'm going to tell you, I've preached everywhere I've preached at times when it'd get tight, including here. I could look over at her and just know she's praying for me, and I'd charge hell with a gas can. Can you imagine what it must have done to Job's heart? Well, she's got to go to the funeral home and identify ten bodies too. She's lost her belongings too. People respond different ways. He got floored again. And he stood right back up. You do not destroy saving faith. The apostle Paul, you knock him down, he gets back up. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he'll rise again every time, right? Now, what the Bible teaches? And that's what these verses will teach you. Watch this, verses 28 through 30. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Let me ask you a question. Is the adversary somebody that plays on the team with God? The devil is called an adversary. Is he on God's team? No, he's against God. He's against... Uh, He's against Christ. He's against the Holy Spirit. He's against the Scriptures. He's against God's people and their faith. Watch this. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. That's part of the Christian journey we don't like. Not only to believe on him, but he said to suffer for his sake. And then he says, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and they did see it in him, and now here to be in me. Paul's words are very interesting, very interesting. There, there's a Christian behavior that is displayed. And again, it goes back to what I was just saying a moment or two ago. You cannot, you will not destroy saving faith. You just won't do it. It might look like it lies dormant at times. But you're not going to destroy it. The dear brother that may be struggling, he may come to a place of discouragement and even to the point of being depressed. But you'll see him walking up the road in the path of Christianity. You'll see him. You'll see him walking his faith. Isn't it true? It's easy to shout on the mountain. 
But the real test may be when you're in the valley. Can you shout there? Can you shout there? Saving faith ought to be able to shout at the house, at the hospital. You understand what I'm saying. Some of you are not shouters. I don't say that throwing off on you. But you know what I'm saying. The joy in your heart ought to be evident. Sometimes I watch people struggle. And, and I'm so blessed to see them get up. And on Sunday they grab their Bible and they head to their church. If they go to church on Sunday evening, they get their Bible and they go right back. And then on Wednesday evening, they get their Bible, they get in the car and they go right back. They walk their faith. Many of them walk it alone. But then again, they're not alone, are they? Look what he says here. He says, Paul said that we would not be terrified. We should not be terrified. That means to be intimidated. Not be intimidated. You know, when when I was in the first pastorate, um, I, I, sometimes I'd go in a, a hospital room and maybe a doctor would be standing there, a nurse, and I'd feel so intimidated. Or maybe another pastor would show up for the surgery. I'd be so intimidated. And, and I soon learned this thing wasn't about me. It's about the Lord. And you don't have to be. When, when people would do their dead level best to persecute you um, for your faith, you don't have to hold your head down. You don't have to be terrified by your adversaries, Paul says. The word picture for that is, I, I mentioned a horse and the horse's bridles and the blood in Megiddo coming up to the horse's bridles. You remember in Revelation 14 Sunday. And, you know, the thing about if you've ever ridden a young colt, you have to desensitize them, don't you? You ride up the side of a country road, and um, if somebody's got a feed sack that blew out of their barn on the side of the road, son, he'll look at it, and he'll, we are in the south, he'll booger at it. You ain't careful, he'll run out from under you. Somebody's garbage bin be on the side of the road or a mailbox. If he's never seen one, you've got to desensitize him to that. We used to have a Tennessee walker when she was young. Her name was Sunny, a big uh, sorrel, a Tennessee walking horse. We'd go down here to witch dance and ride on Saturdays with the kids, me and another preacher and, and Amanda and our kids. And uh, she ever got a whiff of a deer. Uh, I soon learned what it was that she was scared of. She'd bolt and run on you. You'd have to gather her up. She'd go to flinching. You don't have to flinch. Sometimes, sometimes the fact that you are facing adversity, Paul is telling us here that that's an evident revelation that you do know God. God's people are going to face, are going to face trial and adversity. This word, terrified. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries. Notice what he says here. He says, which is to them just the fact that they are an adversary to the faith. It's an evident token of perdition. That word perdition is interesting. It's translated destruction here in chapter 3 of this book, verse 19. It's translated destruction, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 1. It's translated damnation, 2 Peter 2 and verse number 3. W.E. Vine said of this word, and Vine was a wordsmith, a word scholar. 
W. Vine said of this word, uh, it never implies loss of being but loss of well-being, not extinction but ruin. It indicates spiritual loss and eternal ruin. In other words, uh, these that would, would take it upon themselves to oppose the faith. I have often felt it, it takes a lot of nerve. A couple of these Democratic presidential candidates that have come out, uh, they got a lot of nerve to oppose Christianity. And a couple of them have publicly. That's a lot of nerve. It's an evident token uh, for their perdition, their damnation. They're lost. They walk in darkness, you see. If a Christian behaves as a Christian when things are tough, it's proof of two or three things. Number one, it's proof, according to this verse, that our faith is real. Sometimes these movements, you've heard me say this, that come through the Baptist church in the south every now and then, they'll catch fire and they'll burn two or three years and they burn out. Sometimes somebody will call and they'll say, hey, preacher, how do you feel about this and such? And I'll say, call me back six months. Give it a year and call me back and I'll tell you how I feel about it. Let's watch it and see. When you're going through a trial, beloved, and, and you behave like a Christian in the middle of that trial, that's an evident token, that's proof of your salvation and your being real. Not only is it proof that our faith is real, it's proof, number two, that we're real. And number three, it is proof that our God is real. It's proof that our God is real. Now, what he says, it's proof that our God is real. Did you know that the world is never going to believe what we have to say if we aren't real? I won't take you through it, but I have a few times over the years. told you about when our friend out at Shady Grove, when his aunt was dying of cancer some years ago, and the doctor said it's terminal, and they asked her. She was a Roman Catholic son said, Mom, you want us to call the priest? She said, Lord, no, don't call the priest. And he said, why not? And she said, well, said he drinks at the same pub we drink at. She said, if you want to call somebody, call David. And he said, why call David? He said, I'll tell you why. I said, when David, got, uh, when David met his God, said he quit gambling with us, quit playing cards, and he quit drinking, and he quit cussing. Now, I won't know David's God. And they bought him an airline ticket from Memphis, Tennessee to the airport in, in Chicago. And you've heard me tell it. He had never flown before. He was nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Called me four times before I got out of the city limits of Memphis. Want to know what do I need to do now? What do I expect now? Scared to death. Oh, but beloved, listen. His lost aunt wanted to know something about the God that he met that changed his life. And she had observed him living that life for a number of years. What are people seeing in your life? Our faith will be put on public display is what he's saying. And then lastly, our faith is going to be tested individually. Look at verses 29 and 30. He says, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him. How many of you... Uh, we're under the impression that when you got saved, life from that point on would be all peaches and cream. I remember that. Um, I was so overwhelmed when the Lord saved me. Um, I thought the angels uh, must have just paid particular attention to me every day. I soon found out that your world can be turned upside down in just a matter of moments. 
Our faith is going to be tested individually. In verse 29 and 30, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. You remember the verse that Brother Chris read to us in open assembly? Look at chapter 3, verse number 10. What a verse of Scripture. Chapter 3 and verse number 10, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. There's something about suffering when submitted to the Lord that God blesses and ministers through. I don't know anybody that's ever been a, amounted to much for the Lord that hadn't been broken up one side and back down the other. I don't know anybody. Not anybody that's been used of the Lord. Verse 29, 30. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer uh, for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me. And they did see it in him, didn't they? Um, those years earlier at Philippi, he'd been beaten with many stripes. He'd been put into the jail at Philippi. The flipping jailer winds up getting saved, but... He may have been the very one that laid the stripes on the back of Paul and Silas. They had seen him suffer. He said, you saw it in me. You you witnessed that in me. And he says in the latter part there, verse number 30, and now here to be in me. He said, I'm back in the same shape I was in when I was with you folk. I'm in prison. And beloved, listen, it's one thing to believe on Christ and quite another to to continue on. Um, J.B. Lightfoot had this to say. I was looking in some of his writings today. He said, God has given you the high privilege of suffering for Christ. Matter of fact, I shared this with a dear brother struggling today. God has given you the high privilege of suffering for Christ. This is the sure sign that he looks upon you with favor. Somebody asked me one time, said... um, uh, asked me one time, said, uh, um, in the ministry, how, how do I always find trouble? And I said, you don't have to find it. If you'll preach Christ and live for the Lord, it'll find you. And here's what Paul is saying in these last two verses. Number one, he is saying that suffering is inevitable for the child of God. Trials will come. Trials will come. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer uh, persecution. And then suffering is inspiring. I went back and looked the story up today in 1555 where Queen Mary, she got, uh, wound up bearing the, the name Bloody Mary. You know why. She put over 300 Christians to death, ordered their martyrdom. And two preachers wound up being martyred for their faith. They were uh, tied to the stake, wood was piled around them, and then fire was set to the wood, and they were burned at the stake. Uh, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. Latimer spoke those famous words to Ridley. And this is what he said before they were set on fire. He said, be of good comfort, Master Ridley, and play the man. We shall this day light such a candle by God's grace, as I trust, shall never be put out. And God used their suffering to inspire others. We've already seen where Paul, in his suffering, some of the brethren are more bold to speak the truth, he said, in some of our earlier verses, because of Paul's sufferings. When the going gets tough, lean on the Lord. 
You say, preacher, it's bigger than I am. It's designed to drive you to Christ. It's designed to drive you to Christ. It's part of its design, according to these last couple of verses, is to encourage others in the faith, to put your faith on display. Put your faith on display. God help us in these days. We won't have just a a normal invitation. Miss Angie is not here with us tonight, but uh, we'll be here on the front. Let's stand.